0: On the whole, it's met my expectations.
1: Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we are supposedly live. Uh, we'll see. Um, That's it. On YouTube. Just okay, YouTube. I'll check. We'll see. It says 08. On the whole, hey! Looks like we're... Of course, for some reason, Firefox decided me to, need to decided to tell me all kinds of stuff. Right. Wow. The geeky gamer podcast is actually live. I am extremely surprised that I was able to get this to work. <laughs> now here's the thing. Do I remember how to, cause I did this so quickly. Do I remember what I named the little scene so that people can see us? I don't know. I'm going to be guessing. So, uh, that's what's happening. Uh, Right. So really quick, just some technical stuff, which we normally take care of prior. But guess what? I was taking care of my technical stuff. Whoever's on Discord, which means all of us, you need to go to streamer mode. That way that sound stops. Uh, this includes me because I'm not on it either. <laughs> but like every time that like occurs, then uh, everyone hears it. How you get there is... Did you hear that? uh, No. You go to the little cog thing at the bottom left of your screen. And then it'll open up settings. And if you scroll down, you can see streamer mode. You click on that. And the very top option is enable streamer mode. And that means it'll turn off all those sounds. If you have any trouble, let me know. Success. Sweet. Uh we can thank Mr. Ken Howell for that sexiness. Um Right. Whoop. Wowie. Wowie. What an intro. So there actually is an intro. Um Does any do either of you remember what it is?
2: <laughs>
1: I'm so angry right now. I can't see straight.
2: Oh, I remember it.
1: Yeah, let's go on.
0: Speak <clears throat> that out. Yeah. Today's a Geeky Gamer podcast. Listen to us. Hear our voices.
2: Take it all in. <laughs> it's going to be great.
3: Go. There we go. It's. <laughs> I had to scroll through.
0: Dun dun, dun.
1: <laughs> Oh my god, it's so good. This is this is gonna be a shit show. Normally it's not like this. Uh, normally we have Ken Howell here, who uh, is Couchfire Media Production, and he is so much better at the technology than <clears> him. <throat> he actually has like a stream cool. deck. Oh, so, he's a sound? and.
4: We can just acknowledge somebody other than you normally does the tech stuff, and let's go on to talking.
1: Yeah, yeah.
4: We don't yeah. have to waste any more time bitching.
1: Right. I, I see I see that you are a dad. <laughs> I'm not. This is the Geeky Gamer Podcast, and basically we're a bunch of gamers <laughs> who happen to talk about geeky stuff. Uh, it's pretty unadulterated. Um, With us tonight, or today, wherever you are, is Mr. Daniel Huffaker. Uh, and you had several names that you wanted me to go by or uh, to introduce you as, but I think I'm going to let you do that. Uh Huffaker?
4: Oh, you want me to say that off? Yeah,
1: I'm going to I'm going to let you say say your introduction off.
4: Okay. Will asked what I wanted to be billed as, and I said their Royal Majesty Daniel Huffaker, monarch of the Epic Games, mid-combat changer of diapers, dungeon master of young and less young, long reign the crown.
1: See, you did it a lot better. And
4: Chancellor of the Exchequer.
1: (laughs) You did it a lot better than I did. I didn't want to
4: overwhelm Will. Clearly it was too much anyway.
1: Oh, was Yeah, so, for everyone listening on the stream, Assuming that you are. Sorry about the buffering. My computer is from 2013. Hey. Holker and Drizzle. Why don't you introduce yourselves?
0: My name is Daniel Holker. And tonight, I will be playing myself.
5: And I'm the Drizzle. And uh, I will be playing... Ken's role tonight. I'm co co host and or something. Nope. <laughs> what? I'm pretending to be Ken. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> alright.
1: Great. Uh yeah, so Huffaker, we've known each other for a while. Um Who are you?
0: Yep. I'm alright.
1: No, who are you?
4: Oh, who am I?
1: Yeah. Who are you?
4: Uh, Let's see, I am not quite 40, I have been a forever DM since 2003, so that's 20 years now, Uh, I enjoy board games, I enjoy real time strategy, and uh, father of three, all three of my kids have had their diapers changed while I've been running combats and stuff because the deal with my wife was you can still play but you got to take the kids with you and sometimes that involved other dads who didn't get to play very often and so they brought their kids and the kids had a play date while we rolled dice and i can actually uh, attest
2: to this when you were still living in kentucky you uh i don't know if i think you said hey wait i gotta gotta change
4: Yeah, I, I have laid, laid them down on the floor and changed their butts while still saying, all right, what number would you get? That's a miss. That's a hit. Next. And just kept it going. Um, We have played a ridiculous number of games with Disney shows in the background.
1: Mm, how'd that go?
4: Fine the uh the only time that it had a real in-game influence was once when tangled was playing and we had a preteen at the table and he was half paying attention to tangled half paying attention to the game and next thing i know he's attacking things with a skillet and claiming that that was not inspired by rapunzel's favorite weapon being a skillet but we all know better
1: tangled is an awesome movie i accidentally saw it
4: at last you saw
0: the light
1: Maybe, maybe it's it's an awesome movie. I was I was actually like affected by it. It's been a long time. Since you uh,
4: you should check out Moana and Encanto. They're both pretty good. I haven't seen either. They one. also both, yeah, I bet. But they're actually really good, and uh, you can draw quest inspirations from them. They're, Disney movies are ridiculously useful for sp- ripping them off within your campaign. Mm. Also, it's one of those things where when you do it and the player figures out that's what you did, they feel like they've discovered some great secret. Even though we all rip off other media all the time, that's just part of it because they're all heroes journeys. They're all based on the same stuff anyway. But uh, sometimes I'm blatant about it and actually just straight up use Disney things in the game. Mm. Um Here's a fun one. Like what? I had one player whose character was a bard, and his whole story was that when he graduated bard college and went home, the love of his life and her father had completely disappeared. And I was like, so what's the guy's name? What's her name? What's going on with this? And he's like, well, I don't know. That's just my backstory, and you can do with it what you want. And I confirmed multiple times with him that this was the case before I decided that that dad's name was Geppetto. And when that got figured out and uh, they found out that he owed the Blue Fairy for having animated his child, and when the Blue Fairy, who I also decided was Alice, sent her Cheshire Cat to go collect on this as her avatar, my Alice became an archfae. Oh, yeah, of
1: course.
4: And, uh, yeah, and Wunderland was her own special realm. But uh, the Cheshire Cat was her emissary, and when the cat came to collect on the debt, he and the daughter bounced. And that's why they weren't home. Mm. And uh, they discovered this is a side thing later. And well, really, everybody else was... made fun of him for having... Been... Yeah. yeah. Everyone else was teasing him for having been in love with Pinocchio.
0: It was pretty fun. Mm. Uh,
3: yeah,
1: that's, that's... The Sheshire Cat is maybe... It's, he's not my favorite character out of fiction but pretty fucking pretty fucking close. Uh someone's in the chat saying laggy. I used him a bunch uh, as a to the Maxi
4: with a lot of powers.
1: To to the chat, I understand it's laggy. I'm on a 2013 MacBook Air. Uh normally we have Ken howe kicking it on like some really good stuff, but we can't we can't do anything about it tonight. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, if the audio is good, then then we'll be fine, but the video is going to be shit tastic right uh we do have some questions for you and all these kinds of things um i know that i could just let you loose huffaker and tell us everything about campaigns because you've run a ton of campaigns um really I quick, have. really quick though i want to get um drizzle and holker's history uh just who are you guys with your gaming uh <clears throat> and you know yeah answer that question as as much as you want, ladies. Uh, tonight, they are helping me host since Ken is uh, is traveling. So we'll start with the Driz.
5: Um, I am, or the, uh, in the chat, they said they may want to try to lower the bit rate to 2,500. What's up, I Bill? Feel.
1: Bill Allen was my one of our former guests. Uh, very awesome dude. Had some very good news on Twitter, by the way. One of his students uh, just got a pretty cool award. Yeah, Bill. I can't lower the rate while we're streaming. Um I would have to restart. So if it's really 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 bad like on the audio then I will do that. Just let us know.
5: All right. Um Yeah, I'm the drizzle. Uh I've been playing for a few years now but not a whole lot of campaigns. I only had one long campaign uh which was Rich and which then turned into the Red Rite uh and i had a bunch of smaller ones that all petered out, <laughs> petered out after like a couple of months but i don't have a lot of experience in the gaming world in the role playing gaming world but i do in video games and that sort of stuff mm. uh what kind of video onto, games onto you hawker no what kind of video uh games? i play er, like, my favorite type series is Far Cry. I like the stealth stuff where you try to take everything out without um, alerting anyone and being secretive about it. Uh, me and my brother and friend are playing Payday right now where we're trying to steal paintings and stuff like that without alerting the cops. And it's it's pretty fun. I like, I like the stealth stuff. Like, not getting... Detected and doing stuff under the guise of under the watchful eyes of people that don't know what's going on. Mm. All
1: right, Did
0: us- you do Mass Effect?
5: No, I didn't. I started playing Mass Effect, but uh, I didn't get into like in the video game world. I didn't get a lot into the MMORGs, uh, just because it's like I I like to play with people I know or <clears throat> just against the computer.
4: Most of it was just single player, but
5: I know oh, I guess,
4: to to put it in.
5: I, I got to the point where like it got into like the place and there were all these other players there and I was like, I'm out. <laughs> Sorry, <guys. clears throat> but, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I just liked playing against the computer and stuff by myself as opposed to Uh, with strangers, because I tried to play what was that superhero game? Like, uh, it was one of the first ones that came out where you played online and you created your own superhero and stuff like that. And before DC or Marvel had any of them, City of Heroes or something like that.
4: Oh, yeah, I've heard of that one.
5: Yeah, I played it for a little bit, but it just, um, not that good at that.
1: And what about you, Holker?
2: All right, for video games, I started off with an Atari 2600 and a Commodore 64. Uh, I got really frustrated, so I never really got into any of those games. And eventually I got a Nintendo, and I was more or less a Nintendo guy for up through the GameCube Uh I'll never forget, I got Super Mario 64 three days after it was supposed to hit the U.S. stores. I somehow got it from the Walmart. I didn't do anything for the next two weeks until I beat that game. Anyways, as far as role-playing games, I played. I started playing uh, Dungeons & Dragons for, for a quick... Yeah, yeah.
4: Still works. I started
2: playing... That's a Super Nintendo cartridge of Final Fantasy, right?
4: Final Fantasy two.
2: Yeah. Uh, I started playing role-playing games. I played Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition back in the day with the Thacko and everything. Don't ask me too many questions about it because it's been a long time. I very quickly (laughs) moved on to uh, a few campaigns in in D&D 3rd Edition and up. Uh, I did, however, have an interesting experience uh, for a couple of years I used to play text-based muds, multi-user mm. dimensions. These were or uh, multi-user dungeons. I don't know if anyone he- else here has ever played them, but they worked marvelously over dial-up. So uh,
0: that's an accomplishment. They were,
2: yeah, <laughs> they were essentially uh, text-based D and D simulators, and a lot of effort was put into these these games because. That's kind of all there is, right? And what was really cool about these games, especially before graphical MMORPGs showed up, was that because they were free, and no one was making any money off of them, they could freely use copyrighted material. Kind of like what you were talking about earlier, Daniel. (laughs) Yeah, I can rip off Disney
0: because no one's paying me.
2: Yeah, well, they didn't so much use Disney, but they used uh, used comic books, books, they used all sorts of other uh, sources of myths and lore or whatever. Uh, and it was a lot of fun for, for a while until I, you know, moved on, I guess. Uh, and, uh, oh, yeah. Somewhere, sometime around 2009, I got invited to be a part of a LARP.
4: That would be where we met.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's where we met. And, uh, I have to say, Daniel, you were a great player in every LARP I was in. You always encouraged me,
0: right? He gave me a ride to a couple of them. Yeah, I did. You were on the think.
2: way. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, that's about it for for as far as my role playing game history. We can get into we can get into all that stuff.
1: Uh, yeah. All right, sorry, shoot your I'm, question. I'm, I'm, I'm putting I'm putting out fire so that way I can actually be doing something. Uh, so I
4: noticed we, it turned red behind you with the fire. Yeah. So it was uh, blue.
1: So, uh, we are not on video right now. Um. hopefully that clears up at least the audio. <sighs> yeah. Anyway. Um. So, yeah. Drizzle, I sent you a bunch of the questions. Will you ask some of those? I, uh, I gotta do the tech stuff.
5: Uh. So, Huffker, what does it mean to be a gamer?
4: I think to be a gamer, it just means that gaming is something that is a hobby you do that you identify enough with to, like, you do it enough and identify with it enough that it is part of who you are in your own mind. Like, I don't think there's a certain number of hours. I don't think there's a certain amount of experience. If someone plays enough baseball to say, I'm a baseball player, sure, they're a baseball player. Maybe not a professional, maybe not even amateur, but baseball is part of them. With gaming, whether it's, tabletop RPGs any kind of console or PC like whatever you're doing if it is enough a part of you that you feel like that is who you are sure you're a gamer you're welcome to identity. love it as much as you want
5: it's about identifying as that so it's it's a part of um a part of you
4: yeah if if it is enough of you to be part of you And you can claim to be a
5: gamer. Uh, What attracts you to different types of games?
4: So I like things that keep my brain working and can help me work on a puzzle or whatever. Like I can get very into Minecraft when I let myself because I will plan a project and I will have notebooks of my planned project. And, um, for example, I, when Minecraft spawns a village, it has anywhere from four to 10 villagers normally in it. I was recently on a server where I decided I needed a bunch of villagers to trade with and I was only half done with the project and my villager population was about 130. (laughs) That was while also running a mod of Mine Colony, which takes a lot of preparation and thought and layout. I I used an Incan template and took over a mountain, and I had more than 100 colonists up on top of this mountain with the village down in its shadow.
5: And what kind of project were you trying to create with all these people?
4: Oh, I was trying to make my own metropolis that was self-sustaining and that just worked. And uh, with some of it, like I was building things out of money. Literally, I had emerald stru- sculptures, <laughs> and uh, I. The thing worked beautifully. It was going great. I just needed more time um, with other stuff like I appreciate things that make my brain work. And I appreciate being able to role play and stuff uh, with tabletop. I like story over other stuff. When I run a game, it has to... Part of what makes my games what they are is I have to maintain my own interest. If I'm bored with it, I know nobody else... Well, I feel like nobody else is going to be having fun if I'm bored with it. That may or may not be true, but it means that I, I run the game at a level that maintains my own attention and keeps me thinking, what do I want to do next? How do I want to explore that? What are the options? And I do very open world games. Um, I will come up with five to ten ideas and I will just have them as like an intro path. And then I will ask my players, of these possible vague categories, which is of the most interest to you so that I don't spend the next three weeks Mm. imagining a bunch of stuff and you guys are like, nah, I don't want to do that. So these are the categories I'm excited about. Pick one, and that's what I will develop.
0: And then we go down that path.
5: And you said you've been running the games for about 20 years?
0: I, yes. I, uh, I have hit. Go ahead.
5: Go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. Well, I, I yeah, want to ask, have...
0: are they all D&D? Um,
4: Mostly. Um, I've modified it a little bit when playing with little kids, though. I gave them full three, five and character sheets when I did that. And then I did five E for the last five years, I've done five E. Um, I held on to three and three, five for a long time because I have a tote full of over 30 hardbacks (laughs) and like it throws out my back to move my books that's how heavy the box is. And, uh, when you're that deep into it, you just don't switch over just because they decided that they wanted to make more money on selling new player handbooks. Um,
5: that makes sense. So yeah,
4: it has mostly been D and D. I did a little bit with a game called realms of glory that similar to Dreadlore. a friend of mine was trying to get it off the ground. Uh, I don't know that he had a whole lot of success with it. Um, because I think he was trying to do too many things at once. Um,
0: but I mostly I've stuck to D
4: and D because D and D is the easiest one to find other people to play with. And yeah, Five E's made it a lot simpler. Um, I mean, the dragons are a lot weaker, but they're also pre-made. In uh, f- three five, if you wanted to make a dragon you basically were making a full character sheet for something that was probably going to get destroyed <laughs> and uh you could make some really interesting stuff like i had one dragon that uh was able to cast greater invisibility and spider climb and eat swallow people whole from the ceiling above it made for really interesting things but you had to figure out based on this chart and that chart and everything like Based on their type and their size, what's the dice for their wing attack? What's the dice for their tail I mean, attack? It was a lot, there, it, and it was all different.
2: If it's going to be a party wipe, how much do you really have to fill out on the character sheet?
4: <laughs> but it wasn't a party wipe. It was a significant uh, challenge, and that was part of it, is balancing what's the party going to do with this. Um, and there's a... Will and I have talked before, there's kind of, I feel like in gaming, tabletop gaming, there's kind of a social contract between the DM and the players. And part of that is the players are going to actually play the DM's game. Like, they have put in the time, they have put in the effort, they have showed up for you, you at least, you can do them the favor of mostly sticking to what they have prepared or things they can easily improvise. Like to just straight up say, nah, that sucks, we're doing something else, is a violation of the social contract. You can at least play the session, and if you don't like the direction, let them plan something else next. Um... I happen to be really good at improvising, so they don't violate that part of the social contract on me too often, but um, I'm also really experienced at this. On the DM side, the idea is, I may make this hard for you, but there will be a path to success, and if I don't intend for you to succeed, there will be some kind of parachute, like there is a way out of this. We're here to tell a collective story. I'm not your enemy. I'm not here to kill you. I have characters that want to kill you, but they're the challenge. And so we're, there's a balance there and an expectation. When you play with people for a long time, you develop a level of trust. So like I told you, I used Alice as an archfey there was one game session where they went to Alice because they were the reason they went to Alice in the first place was one of them pulled from the deck of many things and got the Don John. And I came up with this whole Alice thing in the first place because they were like, we're going to go find him and bring him back. And I had to go, well, where is he? So I decided that Alice, the Archfey, that I hadn't used in the game at all before that, had been confined by other Archfey, and she was sending out the decks of many things, manufacturing them and putting them out into the multiverse to lure people back to her so that as a Fey who thrive on bargains and thrive on people coming to them for things, she could rebuild her power and even send some of them out to capture her captors on the theory that once she caught them all, she could get out again. And this involved her capturing a lot of people. And when my players got there after fighting their way past the Frumius Bandersnatch and the Jub-Jub Bird and a Jabberwock, um, they got to her in her little cottage and she was like, okay, defeat my avatar with... And whoever has their feet on the ground and is standing under their own power, gets to leave with what they want while freeing this. But everybody else is my prisoner. And they agreed to it to help free their person, figuring we'll all be fine. We'll be standing under our own power. It'll be okay. Which they were right up until the Avatar of Alice cast Reverse Gravity and threw them all up into the air. (laughs) One of them beat the save, but had been shrunken because... I had Al, one of her legendary powers was she was throwing mushrooms at everybody and I randomly rolled a die and when the mushroom hit them, they either stayed the same, shrunk to tiny, or grew very large. And it was random. Which was delightful. It was a lot of fun. Um, but when one of them took Alice out in the air, the, well, the avatar of Alice, they, tech, they won they didn't because only one party member was on the ground under their own power. Everybody else was up in the air and were captured. And if I had done that to a brand new group who didn't know me, they would be throwing a fit because, Oh no, you caught us. This is a party wipe. What are you going to do? Yeah. But they know me. We have our social contract and they knew all right, we will ride this out and something will happen and it will work out. And it ended up being, that was the lead into the plot hooks. They went and caught two other Archfey for her. One of those Archfey was Jareth from the Labyrinth. They got to go (laughs) run around and play several sessions. Uh, This one we did on Roll20. So they were wandering around the Labyrinth on Roll20 until they caught Jareth. And like, I stuck Ludo and... uh, the dwarf and like other, there were other cameos and there were also multiple girls named Sarah running through this thing because (laughs) there's that fun uh, Reddit theme going through that Jareth just keeps, there was an original Sarah and now he just keeps bringing Sarah's in from the multiverse. (laughs) I decided to run with that too, because that was fun. Uh, So they came across multiple Sarah's going through the labyrinth. But that all happened because they trusted me enough to know if he's got us all captured, it's going to be fine. Uh, The same thing happened another time where they uh, got arrested in the center of a city because they used wish on the ship they were sailing to get out of a storm. But the guy doing the wish said, I'm going to arrive at my destination. And their destination was a bank. It was a giant, a cloud giant bank and the center of the financial world that they were on. And their ship suddenly appeared on the roof and slid down, ripping up a ton of shingles and fell into the city square. <laughs> and the cloud giants arrested them for it. And they were, they were willing to ride it out, knowing that there was a solution, not just we have to slay the giants before they can get us, because we have a social contract. They know this isn't just rocks fall, you're dead. And so when you, when you have that in place and everybody trusts each other, the game gets a lot more fun. You can do a lot more involved things. It can go longer because you're not adversaries. You're all working together to tell a collective story. I just how happen long... to be the one running the, not them.
2: Okay. I was, I was going to ask, sorry to interrupt, uh, but how long do your campaigns normally last?
4: Most games I've had, depending on how often we can meet, last a couple of years. That game lasted four years, and we actually finished it. We started, I took over, it was originally an Adventure League game at a game shop. And I got appointed as the Dungeon Master, and so for a couple years there, we played every week at the game shop. (laughs) And then COVID happened and we had to switch to roll 20 or not do it much at all. And we resumed later on and meeting was a bit more sporadic, but we did it. And we went from level 10 all the way to level 20. And uh, the game that we started just last year, we didn't get to play through the fall because I was busy coaching girls soccer and got a lot of sore throats. Um, But we're going to play Saturday, which I'm excited about is the same world, but 20 years later, with a whole new set of characters in a different spot in the world. So previous characters have made cameos already, and they're dealing with the world left over after the campaign. And they're dealing with NPCs that are only in the places they're at because of things done in the previous campaign. And so there's a lot of old tie-ins, but it's new characters, new stuff. There's no old alliances. Um, but it's it's vaguely familiar, and that's kind of exciting.
5: Is, is it the same cast, or is it like 50% of the old cast and like 50% new cast into, in the new game?
4: Uh, there's a couple of new players. Uh, my, my nine-year-old is playing with us in this one now as well. Um, fun fact he just started dungeon mastering for the kid next door who's 8 so I got him going in the right direction um, and I have another game going for him and his friends that one those sessions only last an hour and a half because they're all 9 and that's as long as it can go before they lose interest or before things start to fall apart and I need Tylenol <laughs> um, most of the players are returning there's a couple of new ones there are no returning characters because we decided to go down to level 5 and I just didn't have a good reason for a level 20 character to be reduced to 5 right um, but like I said some of those old characters have made cameos or have been referenced and
0: they enjoy that. Uh,
5: why do you favor tabletop role-playing games, and what do you like about them?:
4: I like the freedom to do whatever. Um, i I don't play a lot of modules because well, I don't run modules because I find them very restrictive personally. i I like world building. And I like being able to put things together and do whatever. Modules have their place. They help people get to that comfort level, and that's great. Um But like as this campaign was getting started to we tried out the characters and one of my one of my players DM'd a little bit. And I got to be a player for a bit. And he had to majorly improvise because there were these cultists and salt, like it was a salt marsh-based thing. We just changed the location, but there were these cultists and they were harassing us and I blew them up and proceeded to go back to where their ship was. And rather than let them follow us later, I was like, look, we can ride out of here on the tide, but we have half a day before we go out and wherever these guys came from, they're going to be after us. And I'd rather deal with them now. So we went over and
0: took them out in on the harbor.
4: Because I like problem solving. And that saved us an entire big thing out on later on in the module, because the stars of that, or the antagonists of that later part of the module were already dead.
1: Oh, wait. (laughs) You were playing, right?
4: I was a player that time.
1: Oh, DMs are the worst players.
4: I acknowledge openly that I am really hard to DM for. Worst. Because... I I am very efficient. Oh, so before I took over the Adventure League game, they were doing Curse of Strahd. And I joined in the latter half of it, and we're in the castle and I played a dwarf.
1: Everyone who has not played Curse of the Strahd, Curse of Strahd, you need to just tune out for a second. Continue please.
4: It it's not really a spoiler. We're at Strahd's Castle and the game like the module spells out all of these creepy things and it's supposed to be a particular setting but I played a dwarf who was a wagon maker and I was a cleric. And my two main spells that I used all the time were grease and mending. Oh no. And I had another one like that helped clean things up (laughs) as you, if you fought, you could have followed me through that castle because anytime we searched a room, I was like, mending, mending, (laughs) grease the door, grease the door. He'd be like, you open this door to a creaking sound. I said, no, we don't because I grease everything every time we walk in. This thing is shiny, new, fixed magically, and smooth. Not a single door is creaking in the entire creepy castle because I was there and I fixed it.
1: Was Strahd nice to you after that?
4: Strahd lasted two rounds against us. What level were you? Uh, I think we were nine at that point, maybe 10.
1: How many players?
0: We had f- 5 when we fought Strahd.
1: 5 at level 9. So, yeah, it's pretty OP, isn't it? I mean, what isn't he like a 15th level CR or challenge?
4: I don't actually know cuz I didn't look in the book, but the thing about it was that we very there were things that you were supposed to do in the castle to destroy his resources. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. We did all of those things oh, okay. like, oh, okay, we had three clerics in the party and because I was there on our week or two to walk there we cast uh, some shoot I'm blanking on it divine questioning thing like we a- we asked our gods every day things about this dungeon before but- we got there so we had all the Intel we went right to everywhere oh, we were no. supposed to go.
1: Now, was that because of because you? Because we had
4: clerics who could cast the spells to ask the questions.
1: Was that because of you?
4: Yes. hundred Okay, 100%. So, so
1: this is what I'm saying. So you cheated. You're like, you're like the no. fucking game genie. No, man. No, I, it's the worst. It's like, all right, we're going to this vampire castle. It's not castle. cheating. It's, it's, it is okay, using you.
4: the rules the way that uh, you are I was a very efficient
1: morph. Cheesy. <laughs> cheesy. Oh, my God. So this is what would have happened. That bullshit. You know, I would have let you done it had I been the DM. I would have let you done it. However, your gods that you're calling to from fucking Ravenloft. You shouldn't be able to talk to your gods in Ravenloft. I'm going in 2E. Maybe in 5th that you're allowed to. No, you'd think you're talking to your gods. You're thinking. You'd be talking to, to something else, though. Walk into that. mean, it is technically a layer
4: of the abyss. Yeah, you're right. If he had been more clever, he would have done that. But he was an adventure league guy running a module. And the module lets you do it. Yeah, you I just know. want to say. I just want to say
2: what you all have just said. It's going to be a tremendous use to my Tuesday night game. Larry, my DM there, is not going to have any idea. Like. I mean it just so happens we're playing the same module right he he he's not he's not going to know it's going to be great
1: Larry's on this cast dude <laughs> he's on
4: this I cast. mean we had multiple cler oh there were yeah, I think it was 6 we had multiple clerics a paladin an artificer and a rogue and the rogue had the sun sword
1: oh my god and the rogue We had, we were problems the for vampire hunting. The, how did the rogue get the sun sword who let that happen?
4: I don't know. I wasn't there that session.
1: Oh my! Well, he just made. I mean, what?
4: She, she, she whatever. used that sun sword all the way to level twenty. Like no, no, she no, no, still talking, had it at I'm the end of the game. I'm, I'm talking about the rogue. Oh, he, DM. yeah, yeah. He he let her have it.
1: That uh, and then she let him have it.
4: <laughs> exactly,
1: because rogues in fifth edition. I disagree with this, but rogues in fifth edition, uh. They can crit undead. I guess anyone can crit undead. And I I don't get it. Sneak attack works on undead. What? They
4: they streamlined a lot of things and made a lot of stuff simpler. Like when I first got into 5e and I'm looking at it like, wait a minute, you can do full damage to a skeleton with something other than bashing Mm -hmm. and bludgeoning? You can do full damage to a zombie with something other than slashing well, what is going on I mean, here? The
1: whole thing is like in second ed, I'm not trying to like say second ed was good on the rules, but you know, you didn't play certain classes uh, or you didn't play them very easily in Ravenloft. Like if you were the cleric or especially the paladin, you just died. Like you got killed and that almost balanced the game out because they're so powerful, you know, although I don't know if there's, yeah, no, there is a paladin in second ed anyway. Um, you know, you're like this bastion of goodness and hope. All of Ravenloft descends upon you, like, and takes you down. Um, yeah. Whereas I think. So in, 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 I. Yeah.
4: I did, uh, we did the thing to get Mordenkainen Kynan on our side and he didn't even arrive in time. I mean, like, two we, rounds. Of he strong, showed
1: you, you, you depowered him. You had the sun sword. There were five of you. That makes sense. That makes sense.
4: Yeah. Well, and like at one point, three vampire chicks showed up in the castle. And I said, I cast turn undead. And they all failed their saves.
1: Yeah, but what chat? I don't under. I, I just, my mind is blown. I, again, fifth edition. I was different. not
4: behind the screen on that one. So yeah. I can't tell fifth you. That is different. I just know I, I came into it as this very efficient dwarf.
1: Yeah. Who just rocked and,
4: uh, I had to And I, I cast Turn Undead at every opportunity because it was either going to work or it wasn't.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And more often than not, it worked. It, I tried it on Strahd. I could not turn Strahd.
1: Yeah, that would have been dumb.
4: Uh,
1: <laughs> um, so that's a certain style of game. It's not a horror game, but it's a, it, it sounds like it's fun at least.
4: I think he was trying to have it be the horror game but up. I'm I was a no nonsense dwarf.
1: But was you And but- it was like,
4: "Oh, look, spooky thing." The power of Morden says screw you spooky thing. Right. see, that's not a now horror. Now it's game. not spooky anymore. <laughs>
1: that's not a horror game. That like if you can go into it like you're like the character who like is in the <laughs> alien movie. It's like Alien is happening. It's a horror film. And then it like pans over and it's like you in a space marine outfit. And you're like, Poof, and like nuke everything. And that's it. And you're like, oh, let's go, uh, you know, get a cheeseburger. Oh, alien? A no, anymore. I totally
4: have the flamer. It's not absolutely a would be a space marine with a flamer.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of no. cool, but like, if you're not scared <clears> of it, it's like. You know, it's a style of game. It's like kick down the door and make Strahd your bitch. Oh, OK, you know. Grease is I'm not big
4: on kicking the door most of the time. Like, I, would, I will solve everything I can diplomatically. Well, all right. So, in the same thing, there's this town, and this guy's daughter is dead. Barovia? And he wants her resurrected, and there's some weird monk guy doing experiments up in an abbey up on a hill above this town.
1: Okay, that's not Barovia, I don't
4: think. The, the Burgermeister guy yeah, yeah. is down at the bottom. I resolved that issue because the guy up top was trying to make some like zombie girl to go kill Strahd. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, well, your outfit sucks. Do you need a dress made? And he was like, well, probably. And so I used my, uh, cleric power to become an expert in anything twice a day. And in the 10 minutes I had for the first go, I made all the measurements and the designs to make a really awesome dress. And we went down to the town where I'd given them like my one resurrection thing to bring the daughter back. And they were all super good, like super happy with us. And so the town made the dress for me. And then we took the dress back up and we dealt with all the stuff in the Abbey with that guy having the dress for his zombie thing. And everybody's happy. And he gave us more ingredients for something else. Like I basically just small quest side quest solved this whole thing. That's, that's the big thing I like about um, RPG, tabletop RPGs. I can decide to solve a problem by becoming a dressmaker for a little bit. I don't just have to click the options the computer gives me, which are either be really charismatic or burn a hole through everything. Right. And I have solved a lot of things that way. In my game, the uh, rogue that had the sun sword. Had a thing for pastries, and it became a running joke. And like, she had a bag of holding full of fresh pastries all the time. They're just in stasis in there. Mm. And they used pastries for diplomacy with an absurd number of NPCs. Like,
1: sounds like a D. We're having game a problem here because you're be sure hangry, Have a donut. <laughs> that sounds like a D and D game to me. <laughs>
4: It's but like, it worked.
1: It's like everything's it great. It's like everything's a Robot Chicken episode. Which I'm not trying to diss Robot Chicken. I really like Robot Chicken, but there is an element of okay. It's fun. It's fun. It can be. It can be a lot of fun. I just think that look if I was
2: if I was a celestial dragon and someone offered me a, a jelly do- or a jelly donut, I'd call the whole thing off.
1: How big's the jelly donut, man? Doesn't matter. It's you a like jelly, jelly donut. Donuts. It's jelly got donuts jelly in it. Jelly donuts are
2: nasty. He's,
4: hey, if he's a celestial dragon, he's got shape shifting. He can go to a small enough size that that donut's bigger than him.
3: Oh. Yeah.
5: And there are six dragons that fly.
1: <laughs> I'm not even going to lie to you. I, there's a point where I got so tired of Dungeons and Dragons. Like, it's it's fun, but it's like eating donuts all the time. And I'm just like, you know, I'll eat a donut. I'll hook it up in the microwave for like five, six, eight seconds. You know what I'm saying? Tear that up. I love it. But I don't want to eat donuts all the time. And I don't understand. I don't understand why people are just, it's like the only thing they play. Supposedly, Hasbro wants to sell D&D. Have you heard this?
4: I only saw it recently on uh, another post thing, and I don't know any background on it. Actually, Bill, Allen,
1: Bill Allen, who uh, was in the chat, I don't know if he still is, actually helping me <laughs> fix uh, fix the stream. Um, I'm pretty sure he posted on it. Uh, yeah, I, and I think it's Tencent, which is a Chinese company that uh, that I know because of living in China for a while. Anyway, yeah, I mean, if none of us know anything about it, then we don't know anything about it. But I did think it was kind of interesting to hear that potentially Hasbro was wanting to sell D&D. And it's not even,
4: really their bread and butter. I don't think Hasbro's understood the game and understood the market.
1: Hmm. I mean, who, what, who were the forces behind the D&D movie? Because it seems like that was a really, uh, a really strong move.
4: I I don't know. I know I enjoyed the movie. It was really probably fun.
2: people who played it.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed the movie uh, quite a bit. I think I think it's good for both people that are into tabletop stuff and uh, complete. You know, um, what is the other word? People that are not <laughs> into tabletop stuff. Uh, I, I just don't and my wife really enjoyed
4: it, and she doesn't do tabletop at all.
1: Yeah, it was it was very very good movie, and I liked how. It um, it was able to balance the sort of really fun stuff, but also uh, be serious, like actually bring up emotion and that kind of thing. Which, if you can do that in a d anD game, I think that's a a, a credit. Uh,
4: so, do you want to hear about the most emotional game I ever ran? Yes. Okay. So, at one point in our game. One of them was supposed to prevent a uh, regional doomsday device from going off. And rather than stop it, he set it off himself so that no one else could use it in the future and killed six figures worth of people of his own country. Mm. And it was a regional cataclysm. It's one of the few epi- like, few sessions that like, I had to go get ice cream after. Like, I can't believe you did that that way. But a side effect of that, there was a, a spot called Mimir's Well, which is based on Asgard stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the uh, it's a snake,
4: yeah. Uh, it's actually the spot where Odin put his eye in the water and to get his knowledge.
1: Uh, Mimir is uh, in Dreadlore is one of the, the Pact Lords, is the reason that I say that.
6: Okay.
4: In Norse stuff, it was a, a spot and like a seer thing. But anyway, I, maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, in the game, Mimir's well was this oracle well, and it had a presence on the material, the Feywild, and the Shadowfell. Mm. And it had been damaged, and the family of gold dra- ancient gold dragons that watched over this thing demanded that they have, the party having been the ones to break it, the party had to come fix it. Mm. And when they went to the shadow well, I did a thing where, let me make sure I'm telling the story right. They had several stages they had to go through to get to the actual spot to fix the well. And it included, like, they, they all separated for this. And there was, like, somebody dead that you want to see, The next stage, somebody dead you definitely don't want to see. Uh A memory that was great. A memory that was terrible. A future that you really would like and a future that you really wouldn't. And I had all the players give me, like, based on your character, what would they like in these things? And we did a session with, I think, I think five or six of them were there. And I just spent five minutes with each of them doing each stage of this is where you're at. This is who you're seeing. This is what's going on. How are you responding? And some of it was a bit comedic, like there was a dwarf who ended up stuck in an argument with a foe that he had slain and he was pissed at him. Like he had a book of grudge things against this guy. And so he got stuck there arguing and they had to succeed on a wisdom save to get out of each of these stages. And only, like, two of them made it all the way to the end. But, like, we had characters having dead family show up. We had characters cowering from their greatest antagonists. It, some of the, the scenes with the future you hate, like, b- broke them. Mm. Some of the ones with the, the future you love, that one got a couple of them stuck. It was like, this is a personal heaven. Why would I ever leave this vision? Right and the uh the ones who made it all the all the way to the end had to go back into the other people's visions to get them out where they were stuck but it was it was emotionally heavy this the way it was done and um so what you're talking about with being able to switch between the silly and the intense i can do that my games do that it's just a lot more fun to talk about the silly not the Oh, yes, the time that I almost made this one player cry because (laughs) I managed to tie up their backstory and they actually got involved in the storytelling.
3: Well,
1: here's the question.
4: Not like they're distraught, more of the, like when someone sees a movie that moves them emotionally. And I think think it's a little easier to do in a game anyway because people so often, their characters are an extension of themselves.
1: Mm, Absolutely, 100%.
4: I, I saw a meme once that was like the, the, your expectation of dungeon mastering, leading my friends through an adventure, slaying monsters, the reality, helping your friends work through their personal trauma while being murder hobos. And def, I have definitely been around characters where that, the character was them working through their issues with a degree of separation that allowed them to do so. And I'm kinda of sitting back like, Maybe I should become a licensed therapist before we do much more of this because you are you're working through stuff here.
1: Oh yeah, I mean but, I think I think tabletop role playing games, I mean there there's a whole thing about it being therapy. But on that note, um I am certain that you've run games that have incorporated these elements, the the Deeper elements, whether they're they're happy, sad, whatever. But are you able as a player to engage in that, or do you ruin it?
4: I don't think I've had enough time to figure that one out as a player because I'm never a player for more than three or four sessions.
1: That's the thing is, a lot of times with DMs, consummate DMs that then play every so often we're so in our heads tactically and you know that's where the creation is um and the creativity and then your storytelling uh it's sometimes difficult to get out of your own head and to and to sleuth the game because i don't know what you were like in school i can assume I can assume you were the fucking worst. You're probably homeschooled though, right?
4: Oh, no, I did public school oh, did the whole you? way. My yeah. mom refused to homeschool me. She said we'd have killed each other.
1: Yeah, see? So she was wise.
4: <laughs> she was, very. But,
1: but you know what I'm saying? Like, the idea of...
4: No, I was the, the smart kid who was difficult to stay, keep on topic and difficult to keep engaged because... Um, well, you figured it out. For right? example, in eighth grade, we were going over U.S. history... Again, there wasn't a single new thing from fifth grade when we'd already done it. Mm -hmm. And I was apparently the only one in the room who remembered any of that. And the teacher finally just gave me his college textbook on Andrew Jackson, gave me some assignments from when he was in college, and put me in the back. And I learned to hate Andrew Jackson, because he was a dick. (laughs) But, uh, anyway.
2: But yeah. Go on. Didn't you go to high school in yeah. California?
4: I did. I went to Valencia High School in Valencia, California.
1: Valencia. Yeah, I'm in California right now. Not going to I know. School, I keep
4: say. asking you why you're there, and you keep blowing me off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel about Los Angeles. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm getting blown off. <laughs> I'm here doing acting. And, uh, or pursuing acting, I should say. And a lot of podcasting. There's this, uh, there's the Monday Night Game that we're doing, um, which is, it was called Dreadlore. Yeah, it was called Dreadlore Theater of the Mind, but I have changed it since to Dreadlore Live Play. Because apparently live play is something people understand. Whereas Theater of the Mind, they're like, what the hell? What the hell? And then Thursdays is this, and pretty much on the weekdays, I do uh, a chess podcast where I lose uh, to 12 and 14-year-olds, which is spectacular. That's what I'm doing out here. So Bill Allen says, The Curse of Strahd has some cool things, but definitely lost less of the original horror flavor. Yeah. um, He also says, I was like, or it was like taking an R-rated movie and re re editing it to PG thirteen movie. Yeah. I that's that's Bill, I don't know. I can't remember because day and night bleed into one. If you guys are not following Bill Allen on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, you should definitely do it. Uh he's he's got a lot of good content. Anyway, um I'm not sure if it was on his channel or not. Uh but they were talking about Curse of Strahd and kind of what it's become. And, um, there's this whole conversation about fifth edition and how it just kind of has kids gloves, uh, which there is an argument for, but I think that it actually diminishes the game. I, I think it's, it's better to have a game where, uh, you can go to the extremes and then it's up to that group. And Huffaker, like you were saying, the trust of the group and the GM knowing the group to figure out where, you know, the line is. I mean, what do you think?
4: So 5e dumbed a lot of things down. It made the game a lot easier to run. Like, I as a DM have to prep almost nothing because it's just easy to do. Um, and they provided, like little printed out cards for different things. If you bought, like they did a lot of stuff that basically was Hasbro wanting to make money off of it. You know, good for that. <laughs> right. They're a company. Right. That's what they do. Right. Um, they uh, so five, e did two main major shifts from three, five. One was they codified allowing the DM to do, open storytelling stuff, change alignments of creatures, make goblins good or evil, depending on how their world went. Like they took away all of the standing trope stuff and made it a lot more open Mm. and made it so that it's any non-human that's dark, isn't automatically evil, but uh, you You could have done that anyway in in three, five. No, I mean like orcs, Oh, okay. and drow, and anybody with dark pigmentation who wasn't a major human thing. Like, in the old editions, you can look at it and basically go, they look light-colored. They're probably good guys. Those ones look dark-colored, or green. They're probably bad guys.
1: It's interesting, because in, like, uh, outside of the the Greyhawk well, I really shouldn't. In the old days, it wasn't really Greyhawk, but uh, outside of the D&D mythos, if you go to like Warhammer, uh, dark elves <clears throat> who are evil, or they're not necessarily evil. They're just incredibly ambitious, basically evil. Uh, they're w- extremely light skinned.
4: Like Which makes sense if they're elves from a dark place right. because you wouldn't have any skin pigment if you're living somewhere dark. Right. But drow were purple.
1: Yeah. Drow are cool as shit.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
4: And they were purple and they were evil. Um, whereas other were elves were evil. not purple they were and made. were not necessarily evil.
1: They're, they're, they're made evil though, you know, cause, and that, that's something hey, so, that
3: <clears throat> go on.
4: Regardless, regardless of whether they were made evil because they had a goddess on top of them who absolutely loved driving them all to Byzantine politics and murder. Which is the case? Like, sure, you could kidnap a drow baby, raise it somewhere else, and they would be fine. A normal person. Um, The effect on the other end was they were evil, regardless of how they got there. And same with orcs, same with gnolls, same with. Well, gnolls are still evil because now instead of being.
1: You know, monsters.
4: Well, in 5e, they are specifically being pulled out of the abyss by Yigaloth or whatever to go on rampages. They simplified them too. Um, But the the bonus of simplifying things uh, is that it made it more accessible for people to just walk in. Mm. It is way easier for me to make a character sheet for a kid to play then it, it, it takes less than half the time to make a 5e sheet than it did a 3.5. Sure,
1: sure. I believe that.
4: Um, so for teaching people to play for the first time, which is kind of what they're hoping to do with 5e is get a lot more customers. If you're teaching them new for the first time, 5e is a much easier way to do that. If they want something infinitely customizable to build the character of their dreams, they absolutely want to go back to 3.5 you can puzzle out anything you want.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing too is um I would like to I'd like your opinion on this cuz we've talked about it a few times. And actually uh Drizzle and Holker too. So there's this element with tabletop role playing games, right? Cuz a lot of people they they hear TTRPG and they're like, "Oh, right, D&D." And I get it. Um I mean, I made my own system. You know, and made a book out of it. So I have a I have a big old chip on my shoulder about this, uh, but so there's character.
4: creation. You chips on your shoulder? <laughs> yes. Really?
1: So there's 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 <laughs> I'm a big old bitch. So and a dick at the same time, because you know I don't care. Uh, character creation. Um, so you can have a very easy, streamlined character creation. You can have a more granular character creation. Um, I personally have my opinions on this. As in, that is an element of a system. It could be a barrier to entry. And then there's the actual playing of the system. Now, I will posit this. Regardless of how streamlined the character creation process is in D&D, in 5th Ed, it's very streamlined. I would agree. The game itself is not a simple game. As no. As opposed to what people think. Um, and I want to know your guys' opinions. Uh, do you prefer streamlined character creation? Um, ease of play? Does it matter? Do you like a more granular one of those? Go.
4: All right. So for me, it depends on who I'm playing with. If I have people who are familiar with the system and are familiar with role-playing games in general, then I'm going to let them make as complicated a character as they want as long as they can run their own mechanics and I don't have to think about it. Um, with pushing through playing games while having kids around or playing with kids, when playing with kids, having it be as streamlined as possible is really helpful. Like with the nine-year-olds, I took their character sheets and I whatever their highest attack stat or spell stat was, I made it the same for all of them.
3: Mm.
4: Like if it was wisdom, if it was intelligence, doesn't matter. The one that they're casting their spells on is the same one. So that I, since I'm having to do a lot more of the mental load of keeping this game running with nine year olds, Mm. if they all have the same number, I'm not constantly going, okay, well, what's your modifier? Well, what's your modifier? Well, what's your modifier? If they all have a, for just to throw out there, plus six to their spells, Mm then I know die roll, add six, did you make it, did you not? Right. And, or even their attack rolls. If, it's all this, if, they, if they have the max stat for their, whatever their attack roll is, that makes my life easier with them, and it makes the game possible them at all. Mm. And if I'm doing this with people who are brand new to it, and if I have to hold their hand through it, I want as few complications as possible. Because in that instance, the tabletop games are effectively a game of pretend. Like, that's what they are. That's what we're doing. We are adults still playing pretend. Right. We just happen to have put a mechanical system on it, whether that is World of Darkness with D10s, whether that's a D20 system, whatever the heck you're doing, you are playing a game of pretend... In a collective storytelling game, and the mechanics are just there to resolve conflicts. So that if I'm like, Hulker, I punch your character, and he's like, no, I block. And I'm like, no, I totally hit you in the face. And he's like, no, I countered and twisted your arm. We have dice I rolls dodged. to resolve that. I mean, he's gonna give me a mean face and make me back down either way, but <laughs> we have dice rolls to resolve that. The one time in D&D that I decided to murder another party member? There were mechanics for that. He cheated, but he still ended up dead eventually. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was one of the times I actually got to play a character for a long time. And when when I do get to play a character, I tend to pick a couple of elements and run with it. That particular character despised anybody over four feet tall and was particularly paranoid.
1: Uh, You're a DM who's playing. I understand. (laughs) You don't understand. I know you don't. I know you understand. But like that is the story of literally all of the GMs that I know who play every time. It's always, well, I set these rules forth and then the game exploded or I solved it. And it's not my fault because I said it was this way, and every no, single I, time,
4: I I did not pull the "this is what my character would do" therefore thing. I the other character literally beat my character unconscious for a stupid reason. Why? And oh, I put a dirty sock in his bag of holding.
1: Why'd you do that?
4: For fun. All because right. I do little silly things sometimes.
1: <laughs> so he, but why? Why does character beat? Okay, so we know why your character... Because the player it, it had his...
4: anger issues and chose to take it out on in the game.
1: So it was a meta thing.
4: It was a meta thing on I that see. part. And in the character, I slowly took the time to study the other characters' motions and other things. Because as a character, if somebody else is so unstable that they're going to nearly kill me over a prank, that person cannot be trusted. You can't just ditch them and leave... They might show up later and attack you unknown. So this is a problem that has to be solved.
1: Right, but you went meta too, because you're dealing in game with a person out of game. Because you're not you're not getting rid of the person out of game. (laughs) Or did you? Uh, Did they they quit the game? The dungeon
4: master dealt with them later. I see. But
1: I I mean, I, I I appreciate what you did. At the same time, it's it's. You know, it's the same thing, just a higher brow attempt.
4: <laughs> anyway,
1: okay, no, there so, was another time I got okay. to play
4: a wizard, and I had never just gotten to play a straight caster. This was in three mm-hmm. five, and so I just kind of looked at it and went, "Well, if I'm going to specialize this guy, what is the weakest type of caster I can think of?" Uh-oh. And so I made a specialized enchanter and proceeded to wipe out entire dungeons by just putting everybody inside to sleep. <laughs>
1: Uh you the the evidence is mounting Avicer. <laughs> it's mounting.
4: <laughs> okay, fine.
1: So uh did you answer the question, which I guess it just depends on what kind of player group you're with.
4: Right. That was the answer to the question. I I, I do a lot to vary the game based on who I'm playing it with.
3: Mm. Mm.
4: Because it's not just a oh, I am the dungeon master and therefore you play my game my way. Right. That's stupid. Right, right. You're playing a game with other people. It is a collective storytelling game. Mm. If you're going to bother playing with people, you need to make a game that the majority of them are going to enjoy the majority of the time. And granted, I have to maintain my own interests, so I'm going to do certain things so that the game is interesting enough to me.
1: While you're playing. But
4: like I said at the beginning, I, if I'm planning ahead, I will say, here are three or four possible quest hooks mm that I find interesting among you guys, which of these do you think will be the most interesting to you?
1: Now, is this you as a player or a GM? or both? This is me as a dungeon master. Okay, okay.
4: Um, I have not had a DM actually come to me and say, well, what do you think would be interesting? Hmm. No one's done that for me. Um, but I do that for them and make it so that our social contract is fulfilled in that I'm doing something that is interesting to me and worth, worth the sacrifice of time and thought energy to make it happen. And they're also having a good time and making it go well. Mm. And um, believe it or not, I am actually sensitive enough to other people's emotional state that if someone is having a particularly horrible gaming session, I pick up on it and it starts to derail my dungeon mastering because now I'm concerned what's going on with this person. It's overriding the energy of the story. And do I need to do something in game to help them? Is there something out of game going on to help them?
5: Mm, yeah. Um, I do see earlier when you were talking about therapy <laughs> and how you were, well, how you were helping, how you should be kind of licensed therapist in, in helping with the D and D.
1: There, there is an element of that when it, when it, Let's put a pin in it really quick. I, w- I want to get your guys' answers. Uh, so, Hulk, are you and Drizzle? Um, do you remember the question? Streamline yeah. or not? Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, uh, earlier when the stream started, I said I started playing D&D 2nd Edition in the 7th grade for a bit. And the reason it was only for a bit is because the 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 people running the game would try to explain to me, 7th grade me, uh, Thaco. Oh yeah. And I, Thaco I sucks. What is this? <laughs> and and I'll never forget when when uh, later on when some other friends of mine introduced D and D three or three two or something like that, and they said, "Oh, thacko has gone." I thought, "Yeah." It made no sense to me. Uh so I'd have to say there's probably only a certain amount of complexity that I could really handle unless I actually sit down and and read it and mm. and can put it into a spreadsheet that will actually <laughs> calculate all the values Which, for me
1: Oh, you motherfucker, you love spreadsheets. This guy is a wizard at spreadsheets, like a level
4: spreadsheets a are an amazing tool if you know how to not put everything as a date
1: <laughs> continue, Holker, sorry
2: uh. so if i could put it into a spreadsheet and calculate it and make it work for me and and keep track of it then uh i could probably handle some really complicated games this dude
1: he'll roll out with like we were we were were doing a fifth ed game uh planescape Uh, have you ever run planescape huffaker or, or is it pretty much just your world that you run
4: I have used elements from other things but lately anytime I do something big they come out with a book about it right after like right. I had a huge thing with dragons mm-hmm. and then they came out with Fizzbands and then I did a huge thing with giants and then they came out with the Giants book so you know I don't that know that what's is, going on
1: You know why that is
4: But whatever I do your phone, they come out with a book about it 6 phone, months later
1: Your phone is listening to you and they're they're listening and they're taking it
4: uh, it's probably everybody else's D&D Beyond app sucking it in.
5: <laughs> Drizzle, how about you? Um, To me, I don't think it matters whether the character creation, like the mechanics of the character creation is streamlined or not. Because to me, the character's in my head. So I, I create the character and figure flesh them out that way. Before I even tried to do any sort of mechanics, so like, either way, if it's like a heavy mechanics built character or or light, like I see the character as he is anyway. If that makes sense, like it's, uh, I know how he's gonna react and that sort of stuff. He's in my head. He's more story driven and built so the mechanic side whether it's light or heavy doesn't matter as much to me right
4: and that's how rpgs are supposed to be anyway this like i said it's a game of pretend we just happen to put mechanics on it so we can pretend together and have it function um
1: Uh, and go on
5: like well like most my characters start out as an arch archetype so it's i see I take something from somewhere, take it and start twisting it and making it and putting it into how I want to use it. And then they grow and develop from, from the base.
1: Mm. All right. Let's uh, cause I want to get back to, um, I want to talk about at least two more things. One drizzle, you had a point, you had a question that you were talking about it had to do with therapy. And then I also wanted to talk a little, little about Huffaker uh, with, your campaign your world because you have at least one i'm i'm assuming more than one like an entire world but before we do that let's take like a five minute break and use the bathroom and get some water and stuff like that and then we can uh finish up is that cool that's cool all right i'm gonna attempt to play some music we'll see what happens with it uh so yeah five minutes and uh be right back
7: Justified, no excuse for this. Here we are, you're the star, and it's time, even though, yes, but it's a crime. No. We
6: don't know what to say.
4: has it gotten too dark on this end are we still good
5: no you look fine
4: okay the sun went down over the course of this conversation
5: (laughs) sun's been down here for a while so
4: yeah you're over there in the east
5: yep at least it was in the 50s today i got to go outside without a coat on that's nice It's supposed to be 32 tonight, so that's a different story. But.
4: Now, professionally, I work in construction stuff, and I'm outside all the time. And It makes a big difference what the, uh, the soil types are. Because out by you, it's all clay, and when we got those big rainstorms, you wouldn't work for three days because I couldn't drive on the job site.
6: Mm. Oh.
4: But out here, it's volcanic basalt, And that stuff actually drains, so you can work in the rain. People don't just go home. So in five years of Oregon, I've lost less days to weather than I would in one in Kentucky. (laughs) And I was there for 12, so I have enough years to be able to survey sample that effectively.
1: That's how we know each other, way back when.
4: The soils lab at CORE. Where? Where? core property science core
1: oh there it is oh, i see all right right right, right. core <laughs> that's what it was called you know it's not called that anymore
4: <laughs> no it's uh s and M E. I
1: i know i don't understand why i mean i do understand because i've made up as an arbiter slash gm dm whatever i've made up npc names that look really good on paper and then you <laughs> say them out loud the first time
4: when you introduce them
1: and you're like ah oh, yes anal bum cover wait fuck damn it
4: So i learned the hard way like i i gave all of my dragons different ethnicities by type like just like for styling their teague. names
1: wait shit
4: so like for a bit there the gold dragons all had spanish names the red dragons had french names but when I tried to do Welsh names for the silver dragons, I got into it and went, "This was a mistake."
1: Wait, you you gave all the red
3: dragons. Tri- <laughs> you made
1: the my red
4: tri- <laughs> ancient my big bad worm ancient red dragon was named Francois. Oh,
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, did you have a Pierre?
2: I can no, but that. I had Maria.
1: I cannot Well, Maria's fine. Uh, Jean Paul, you see Jean Paul as he. <laughs> <laughs> rounds the castle wall <laughs> smoking hello i am the red jack and john paul
2: <laughs> i don't even know how you pronounce the well half the welsh
1: i don't think anyone does
2: i mean have you seen have you seen how it's spelled
4: no they clearly were using runes to spell things before and when they were forced to give up what they wanted and had to use the uh anglicized alphabet they just went crazy with it as a form of vengeance
1: that's right that's right it's like uh yeah i mean passive
4: aggressive take that rather than blowing up houses like the irish
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know i approve of everything that a bridge too far will no i i approve of the uh was that another joke <laughs> was that a was that a hidden joke there fine i'm fine with it i enjoy it uh i think it's hilarious you name you you made your red dragons french first first drizzle what was your question
5: the i theory. remember it was not a question
3: oh.
5: it was just commenting on how the way he talked about it, I could see how he would use his D and D to help his players through as a therapist. I was I was agreeing to what he had said earlier. Oh, I see. Um I see. Yeah. Because he was like it was it was a lot like therapy. I mean, I know, you know, we went through the whole situation that I went through with uh melolel and everything. Yeah. So
1: yeah, that we we ran a game. <clears throat> it's on YouTube. Uh, you know, I tried watching it. <laughs> the early sessions are pretty rough. Just because of the I, high tech. your
5: yourself when stuff is hard. Was that episode on LOL? I mean, was that I'm episode sure. on? I'm pretty sure. I don't think it was. I thought it was right before we started.
1: No, man, I'm pretty sure it was. So we ran this. Uh, we ran this. It's called Richmond Fay. Huffaker, did you ever meet Eric? Eric Seaman? I don't think so. I think it was I don't prior. Know. I think it was, I think it was uh, us hanging well, out doing his large last name's, his last so name's the
4: Seaman, trouble with,
5: so if you met him... The trouble
4: know. with whether or not I know people from the Lexington gaming scene is that when I hit the scene, I hit it so big and with so much presence uh. that people forgot that I wasn't always there.
1: Right. Panay like, is in like every They kind area.
4: of... They just kind of imposed my presence on other things like I had always been. Mm. Like, I, I noticed with the LARP in particular, my the perception of my presence was far bigger than I actually am as a human.
1: I mean, I understand that very well. At least you're like seven feet tall.
4: Oh, obviously. Even though I'm only six one and a half.
1: Six one and a half. I mean, I'm five nine, dude. That's like half a foot taller than me.
4: I have a very big personality. I fill rooms.
1: Well, what I'm what I'm actually saying is, in that game, the as I I, I coined it, the shit larp, because uh, <laughs> I'm hilarious. I we played characters. Very clever. It was clever. We played characters. Um, were you a Carthian? Did you play Carthian?
4: Oh, are you talking about Josh's LARP?
1: Well, he had a couple different ones.
4: Are you talking about the one that we did at Liz's house?
1: I believe. It was, if it was the house that had lots of children in it. Or there, children's toys. Not usually.
4: Say. There were toys, yes.
1: Yeah, it was creepy.
4: Um... Yes. I, I started as an Invictus because that was when the LARP broke right. and spilled over, and Josh did the continuance of it.
1: I see. Right.
4: So I started yeah. as an Invictus. Yeah. I had a lot of Carthian allies.
1: Uh, yeah, I remember that. Um, so I played a character in that game, and uh, he somehow became like the Ark evil like the the a gold the, the the bad guy and uh we had a wiki because for some reason all larps had wikis at that time and someone had posted in it <clears> they <throat> said you know i met will or bill on here uh in person cuz you know in that's the thing in a in a game like a tabletop game you, there's a lot of out of game like you know that yeah. you know that i'm you know, like like i'm talking to drizzle and I know that Drizzle's playing his character from Into Space. You know, like Skip Trace, I know he's playing him. Um, And so I know when he's playing a character and when he's not. But in a LARP, that's not the case. Because you're essentially... No, you have to very
4: specifically, look, I'm not in character right now. And right. then no one treats it like out of character right. anyway. Right.
1: And then you have that metagame bullshit where, <clears throat> you know, people are trying to do out of game shit in game and vice versa. Anyway, this person they uh they met me, they posted on the wiki. They said, I met Bill uh out of game. He's a really nice guy. And I totally thought that he was gonna be this absolute horrible person who's like, you know, made of evil and 12 feet tall and awful. And I was like, first of all, I appreciate someone actually realizing that I'm not playing, that I am not the character. And two, my guy wasn't even that bad. Like, Oh, no, he, he wasn't. He
4: didn't do. He anything. did a little bit behind the scenes. He, did but nothing. people he was affiliated with did a lot. Yes, and he did nothing. people he trained. He did not. Dakota did a ton of stuff, and you got blamed for it because yes. you were behind Dakota,
1: right? And and Fancher, and Fancher. It was a good game, man. Logan and was then, in there, and Oh, and then we were affiliated, and Logan I was Nance. just
4: trying. Oh.
1: Speaking of dude, uh, yeah. I I did the audio. Oh, You know that because you you listened to the audio book. Yeah, I got Shepherd, to be
4: one of the uh, reviewers on it.
1: Saturday Shepherd in the world beyond. I'm not sure if Panayan makes an entrance. I asked Logan about it though because there were there was a character or two that I was like, is that Panayan? Uh, and I can't remember what he said, but I'm pretty sure your character is going to uh, appear in the second one. Not a hundred percent. Logan can correct me if I'm wrong. Well, and
4: even if he does, it's going to be Logan's version of Panayan, Right. And, like, it was years after the game was over before Josh understood what my version of what Panayan was and what he was trying to be actually was. was. He
1: was like a super elder that had lost blood potency, right?
4: No! He He was just a neonate that everybody above him ditched and he was left trying to hold all the pieces together. Did,
1: did, Did Will Stull, did his character create you?
4: stopper found stopper.
1: me stopper right because Stoll i was, was playing a nosferatu. i was stoppers squire stopper was playing in nosferatu oh no no will stole's character no was... he
4: was he was something else but he adopted me and i was yeah. his apprentice right. squire whatever and then and but then, then
1: in typical stopper fashion he fucking left the game
4: <laughs> yeah and and when the game switched over and John. Josh was in charge. Most of the Invictus bailed. Yeah. Yeah. And. Well, that was an explosion.
1: um, That was an out of game explosion. Interesting. That
4: that was an out of game explosion. But I kept going and I ended up being the de facto prince. Yeah. For a while. Because. For a while. I. And it wasn't ever official. It was just raw force of personality.
3: Yeah.
4: And. I, I actually kept getting annoyed at everybody else because sure we could scheme and plot, but we had this outside thing that was their explanation for why everything had exploded, mm-hmm. and nobody was doing anything about it but me. Right. And it just pissed me off because I was trying. I was trying to solve the problem. Well, can yeah, you believe that? See, see
1: that's, that's <sighs> the, the problem was not a story thing. <laughs> the, the problem was who was running the game uh because they fucking there there were i
4: love josh josh i adore him
1: i'm not i don't have anything against josh i had nothing against
4: him i josh was really easy to push around as a storyteller at that time of his life i don't know how he runs games now if he runs games now Mm. but basically at that point if anyone came to him and said wouldn't it be cool if you could talk him into it didn't matter how little sense it made, especially if it was Lance Lance Granger could talk him into anything.
1: <laughs> Lance is a good storyteller. I never really knew him, but I I was told that some of the games he ran uh were really, really good. The thing is, there that group, um, you know, you you came into late. And truth, me too. I game I came into that group like a year before you. Um, and it was a very if you, it, there was, there was a clickish nature to it. So, and that, that, especially in LARPs, uh, I think LARPs are more prone to it, uh, because it's difficult, like we said, to know, <clears throat> to be able to separate the person from their character. And then you get people that are doing ST storytelling stuff. They kind of get in that role. They don't get out of it. You get people that are all always playing the prince, you know the highest the the ruler role in the game and they always flip to the top because unlike a tabletop game uh just because i have a charisma of 20 in D and D-, D-, D terms in a larp it doesn't matter if i've got five or ten dots if i don't have a charisma nobody's gonna follow me and that's the thing
4: yeah i wasn't built as a charisma character as panayan I was just trying to figure out the system at all. It was my first World of Darkness character.
3: Right. Right. But
4: I'm me and I'm clever and I can be charismatic and despite my large size, I'm mostly mental stats.
1: But you see that that that's the thing. That's the thing that comes down in the LARPs. You get you got about eighty percent of people. This is me just this is my corollary. <laughs> there ain't no proof to this. Eighty percent of the people They are there. See, are you ready for this tie-in? They are there for a kind of therapy. Uh, They're playing
4: themselves with a degree of separation.
1: Yeah. Uh, Drizzle and Holker, you wallflowers, you. Please interject and shut me up. No.
5: (laughs) You're just talking and I'm not... There's no reason to interject. There's There's always a reason to to interrupt me.
4: (laughs) All right, shut up, Will. So... (laughs) The uh, On the therapy thing and the, the degrees of separation, one of the, the great things about fiction as a whole is that it takes you to other worlds, but you're still dealing with people and human concepts. So from Lord of the Rings, from other things, like you see these great forces, you see how people are reacting, the psychology of people, and you can be like, oh, that's great. And you can learn from it without worrying about your own context and bias and if something's hitting the nail on the head because um, there's a degree of separation it's happening outside of the world you get to understand the concept and principle by itself Mm. without it being about you and your parents you and your friends you and your economics the world you live in Um, dystopia comes a little closer than that because it is our world, but something has gone ridiculously wrong in the extreme, and now people are reacting to that.
6: Uh,
1: dystopia uh One of the reasons
4: systems? I prefer Marvel over DC is that while DC is caricatures and demigods, Marvel is regular people get powers. Here's what they do
1: uh, I got on a, the whole. I got a clarification yeah. here. Is dystopia a setting, a genre, a system? What is it?
4: Okay. Dystopia as a genre okay. of like uh, Maze Runner, okay. Hunger Games, I see. 1984, uh, the, the near future sci-fi things are crazy. Blade Runner. Mm. Um, those dystopias. I dig. It also is an existing game and I haven't played it, but I've heard good things. Um, but anyway, you get to see that degree of separation. When you are participating in an RPG, you are the character having that degree of separation. <clears throat> so it allows you to put your like have a character who has things similar to you and what they're going through isn't you. They're going through something and it isn't you. So you are able to experience work through effectively practice the responses to those events, to those potential traumas and sort it out as a concept and make a template. It's like practicing soccer before an actual soccer game. It is a drill for how you emotionally respond to what's going on. The the books and movies and existing media are like watching the play, watching someone else's game video. Now in the RPG, it's a practice. You are role playing through these scenarios. And like, I know, I've been in work trainings where like, let's role play a situation. And I'm like, well, you have no dice, so this is going to (laughs) suck. But it's the same concept. It is, let's practice something in a contained environment that has no real world impact or shouldn't.
5: Or it could also be catharsis too, I think. Uh, Yes, it can. A situation that has happened and it can help you as... This is someone who uh, it can help you. This is a situation that you've experienced and you didn't know how to deal with. And you're dealing with it with this character, and then you can put it back onto your own experiences.
4: Yes, very much so.
5: It's also it it's also
2: a really good opportunity to uh, maximize the key stats on your character sheet. And then to roll in and make the game entirely about you, and to suck the life out of everyone else's uh, experience who's trying to work through all of this stuff, uh, and it it's, it allows you to um, Walter, see that's friends why friends who DM are trying is there to make sure
4: the group therapy isn't all about you.
2: Yeah, to 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 <laughs> who are trying to uh, do all of this noble stuff, and it allows you to deny them that, and then Murad Completely. stabs them. <laughs>
4: But either way, you're working through something. The problem that we, that Will and I experienced a lot with the LARP is that when you're embodying the character and you made yourself, the degree of separation that you get at the table, like he talked about with you before, like the sheets on the table, that is the person in a LARP. You might have your character sheet in your back pocket, but you are the person, you are the figure And so people would be scared of will people would be scared of me because we're doing things to them. Mm. And they would think that we were these horrible beings because yes, my character unscrewed the back of Dakota's head, put a buzzer inside it and put his head back on as a punishment, which I thought at the time was just silly and creative and he role played it. He went buzz, 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 buzz the rest of the session. (laughs) Uh,
2: I'll never I would forget never do I was... that
4: to a real person <laughs> ever.
2: I'll never forget. I was, uh, um, uh, this is a, This was at uh, uh, a LARP brand by Josh, which I had a lot of fun at. Uh, by the way, I played, um, a Nosferatu who would randomly eat things, um,
1: the bottle caps,
2: and I. Huh? Bottle caps and uh cigarettes and I bought I <laughs> bought candy cigarettes and I would like stick it in my mouth and I would just slowly eat it, right? And and, and look at them. I always liked Osveratsu's.
1: Yeah, that game was good. That was at the uh the POT building uh on UK's campus. I was playing a... Ooh, it wasn't a Lance Sancton, it was whatever the it was the Ordo Dracul people. You know that that's the thing. Requiem <clears throat> so World of Darkness Requiem. The rules are fine. Um, but man, the lore is just not as good as Masquerade. I have yet to play the new version of Masquerade. From what I understand, it's it's a lot more streamlined and a lot better. And they kind of went back to, you know, the 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 original stuff.
4: So they made a new system but brought back old lore.
1: From what I understand, yeah. And I think it's like fifth That's that's a good way
4: to take the advantages edition. of both. I I never played old the old one. It's a lot better. But <clears throat>
1: It's a lot more but I heard buzz. a lot of the,
4: the lore was a lot more intense yeah. and that sounded fun.
1: Well, it's a horror game. And if you, if you read, if you read the Requiem book, it's almost like, I mean, it, it's, it's almost trying to be kind of like D&D.
4: They turned it into an adventure game.
1: Yeah. And with, with Masquerade, it is very clear from... <clears throat> the in, the the introduction uh this is a horror game it literally says you have to really understand the world um to 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 play this game the rules are fucking shit they're 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 terrible they make no sense and people that run those rules for some reason are some of the most inflexible storytellers i have ever been uh in a game with let me give you an example. I've made this example before. So let's say you have a few stats. Let's say that the stats are the D&D stats. So attributes, okay? If someone right. wants to run and jump, what's the stat you would make them roll? Athletics. Strength. Right. So what is the attribute? Right. So strength. Strength. Okay. What about if they're going to pull an underworld and... They're on like the, the third floor of a building and they jump off and they're going to land. And let's say they have in Requiem would have been Vigor, whole bunch of Vigor. What stat would you have made them roll?
4: Jumping off a building?
1: Yeah, jumping off a third story of a building and landing like a... like in the Oh, beginning
4: of the to land where they generally wanted? Probably strength. And then I'd have them do a deck save on landing right. to see if they could roll it off.
1: Right, so now if you had a whole lot of potence, which is uh, vigor in, in masquerade, so basically what that stat does is one of the disciplines. It, the number of dots you have give you automatic successes. So remember that like having one success means you do it. OK? That means you do it. So you could jump off all kinds of things. You got one success. Ergo, you do it. Uh, The way that the the dice worked in old world was what dictated a success, that number, was up to the ST. So the ST could say, oh, uh, roll your D10s, how many ever you have based on your pool. The difficulty for a success is three. It's very, very easy to get that, right? Well, the difficulty is um, an eight. which is really hard to get that. So that was the sliding scale. It was up to the ST to decide what did, what was a success. Getting one success was a big deal. And then, you know, if you rolled ones, you lost successes, and there were other mitigating factors. Having potence, having vigor, was a big deal. Enter my character. I dun, dun, dun. am jumping off of a building. Now, I'm playing a La Sombra. A La Sombra is essentially a maquette. Uh, in Requiem, basically it's it's a shadow wizard, but think of a maquette—you basically have the right idea. But one of their disciplines is Potence, it's vigor, and so I'm like, cool. How high up am I? Oh, you're about thirty feet. I'm like thirty feet. Well, an actual human could jump off that; they'd hurt themselves, likely, but maybe even die. But I'm a fucking vampire, and I've got Potence too, which is quite a bit. Okay, boom. All right, what happens? Roll dexterity. And I'm like, wait, what? Roll dex to, to just fall? Yeah, that's, that's what it is in the book. You got to roll dex. All right, so I roll dex. I get zero successes because I have no dex. Well, what about my potence? Oh, that doesn't matter because it's strength-based. So my character literally goes all the way down. His legs bend in half, explode, Okay. Like, he's this mangled mess on the ground, and mechanically, I have one hit point before my elder fucking vampire turns into ash. This is game two or three, okay?
4: You've told me this story. It's been years, but yeah.
1: I To this day, wow. it is a thing. It is a thing. And I'm real salty about it. What's up, Ken? It's about time. <laughs> hey, Hufferger. Hello,
4: person number five.
1: Hufferger, this is uh, this is Ken Howe, uh, the the usual co-host.
4: Ken, who hello? are
8: hello? Oh, I'm a I'm um, a hard-boiled detective. <laughs> no, you're not. I come from the mean. Come from the mean streets of Detroit in 1982.
1: <laughs> you are so muffled. <laughs>
8: Oh no! Very quiet. Uh, I, maybe I'm. I've got my. I don't have the equipment that I typically have. Yeah. Um.
1: Well, we we hear your voice but, like you do. We're like inside your head.
8: I feel like I'm. I <laughs> had is, hey, is that one better? Oh yeah, it's way
1: better. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's way better. Okay.
8: Good. Well. I uh, I'm a filmmaker and a geeky gamer podcaster and I play uh as as Nord as Zetterberg and I play as a couple other games in the dreadlore world with, with William. Uh and I tell him how to act. Uh and and <laughs> Because he's clearly never had any training for manners or anything like that. So.
1: Yeah, I, I, when, I, when I do he's these a little podcasts, feral, when we do, when we do these podcasts, seriously, there's about anywhere from two to five people who regularly message me and they say, be nice, be nice, shut up, be nice. Like constant. Ken is one of these people. I get these little, little texts. I don't. And he's like, shut up. He doesn't say shut up. He says it in a, li- a very nice way. Be nice. I've because... only told you to show up
4: once this conversation.
8: <laughs> Give you a little look. No, I want to hear what you're gonna say because I'm in it for the shock value. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so we were about to ask Huffaker uh about the world, world building that he's created. Now, how many how many actual like universes do you have going on?
0: Actively right now? Yeah. Two.
1: Two. Uh, Well, tell us a little, little bit about them. I say oh a little boy. because okay. they are so big.
4: Well, one of them isn't a whole lot because it's a game for nine-year-olds. And I am very big on scaling what I'm doing for them. So they are on a specific island so far. It is contained. And I will not create more of that world until they decide they are interested in anything beyond the island. Mm. Because... I only have so much mental energy. It may be more than some, but it is not infinite. So I am not going to flesh out entire things. Mm. Um, the world of Pearl, which is the, the one that the big four-year game was in and the new game is in. Um, when I world create, I kind of start from the big globe view, draw a vague shape of what continents there are, make a vague list of here's who's where and a little bit of minor history on it. Mm. And then I start zooming in towards where the players are at. And the more I'm zoomed in, the more fleshed out things will become. Um, and I, I will do long histories. On Pearl, the the giants used to control a supercontinent, big giant empire. The ordning was king. Mm. And they all worshipped Annam and all that stuff. At some point, about 3,000 years before the game started, there was a cataclysmic explosion that blew up the middle of the continent, formed two other continents, made what's called the Sea in the middle, and left a giant maelstrom spinning in it, full of magical mayhem that threw eldritch storms off like hurricanes to the sides periodically. And the Giants still have some feudal, they're not well organized, but they still controlled the southern continent at Game Start, and they had been hunted into tiny pockets by regular humanoids in the top part. Mm. Uh, About 1,500 years later, dragons became a big deal, and there was a large-scale war across the continent between chromatic and metallic dragons. And then in the region that the game took place to start, that war, uh, the end of it took particular form. And as, I, I wrote out an overall history, a long distance one. And it was a few pages long, but like, they were in a particular region called Was Morgan. It used to be ruled by the Morgan family. And the Morgan family were a big part of the last battle that stopped the Chromatic Dragons from running things. And I... It had been a few hundred years since they had lost power because the final Morgan in charge was an idiot (laughs) and overstretched. And there is a Hobgoblin fortress that had never been breached, and he tried to take it, and he failed, and his allies had been alienated enough... That when the hobgoblins came to get him afterwards, backed by black dragons, no one came to help.
1: So he got hobgoblins.
4: And um, this, uh, the game actually got started as a one shot. We had left Curse of Strahd, and they went to a town that was overseen by a copper dragon who ended up becoming my most important recurring NPC. And he had locked himself in a time trap and they had to get him out of it. Mm. That one shot became a two shot. The town was full of retired adventurers who went there because it was safe. And no one chose to mess with it because if you have a bunch of old wizards kicking it around playing chess and you come knock over their chessboard, and they start throwing meteors at you, <laughs> that's not a good thing. Right. So... That place had relative peace, relative wealth, and that became their base of operations for a long time. Um, But I had drawn out a local map. I had a vague regional map and even more vague continent map that just poked out main places. And I don't flesh the... I keep things vague and I don't flesh them out until the players choose to interact with them. Um, I have known way too many people to make full-on campaign books for themselves and only get to use 10%. Yeah. That is that- a lot of work. That's a lot of work for nothing. And then you end up disappointed because you had this expectation they're going to use all this stuff
5: and they don't. Right. And they made a left.
1: <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's one reason why uh, in the games that I run, for example, the one for Into Space, um, there's a rather large world Uh, you know, I wrote it, it was a book, but the idea is these are modules that the players can explore however they wish, and because they're modules that will be published, those stories will be told. You see, um,
4: I I get that, but I'm not publishing anything, but you could not yet, and so I'm not doing anything with that. I just write this stuff out because it interests me. Mm -hmm. I did at one point. Remember, I said the guy blew up his own country. Yeah. Um, that whole country section got created because this guy wanted to have the Asgardian pantheon for his cleric, and so because that was his interest, I was originally just using like, Halor, Halor <laughs> and Cord and like the Greyhawk gods, and. He wanted to use the Asgard, and someone else wanted to use a different set. And so I changed the world so that the way the gods work is on whatever given planet, and there are many planets that you can jump between, the gods are an entity, but their power on that world is entirely based on the amount of worship they have on that world. Mm. So if nobody is worshiping Ra on Pearl, Ra can't do squat on Pearl if a bunch of people are worshipping Odin, Odin has power and influence around those worshippers. Like, if there's another continent where they're all about Zeus, Odin's going to have a lot less potency. His clerics are still going to be able to function as clerics because I'm not going to hobble a PC over something stupid like that. Mm. But the god himself isn't going to come wandering in and start throwing people around. Uh, um, real,
8: real quick question. Uh, and it was something you hit on earlier. So, so you're okay if, when when a character, because I want to go back, when a character makes a left, uh, do you can, does, does that have a consequence when you're world building and stuff like that? Or oh, we're, we're so yeah. big. So, uh, I mean, My, a left versus the right, you know if if that that left means something is basically what I'm saying. okay, or, so when he blew or, up his
4: own country, the, the last e- surviving monarch sent yeah. assassins after him fairly often. um, so they had to deal with that. but uh, I wrote a side scene that one of the p c s was present for, so that's why I wrote it out that uh it's actually like twenty pages. It was the dragon moot. All of the ancient dragons of the region, regardless of whether they were chromatic or metallic, got together to have a meeting about this explosion and these PCs and discuss their response and what they intended to do about it. And there was political stuff that was involved. And because one of the PCs was present, he got to read all of that in its entirety and then describe it to the other players and be like, guys, we're pissing off big powers. There's problems here. And they, when the level of influence players had, uh, a friend of mine, a former roommate of mine set a scale up that I've used ever since. If you're like level one to five, you are a local champion. Like, uh, let's use a sports metaphor. That is like the captain of the high school football team. Locally famous, locally important, a big deal in his own sphere. You get to level six to 10. Now you're... A regional big deal like that's like the the college football player. that's the, the everybody in the area knows you and you have a bigger influence. You get to level 11 to 16, and now you're a national player, NFL level, every like the things you do involve national level stuff. Kingdoms know who you are. And if you're above, like, 16 to 20, now you're casting spells that alter reality itself. Like, people off-planet are aware of your existence. Planar entities are interested in what you're doing and why. You can have gods sending their champion to get your attention to do their (coughs) thing or to stop you from doing your thing because that's just the level of power you're at. And so I scale what happens to them and who's influencing them and what's going on largely based on that.
5: That's a good
2: system.
1: Yeah, when you, when you talk and, about um, go on.
2: And like football, when you stop playing, your, your influence diminishes rapidly.
4: Yes. Uh, if you retire as an adventurer, maybe somebody's going to go track you down to come coach something. Maybe not.
1: Well, what you're going to do is start a bar. (laughs) That's what you do. You start a bar. uh, Eventually, adventurers come in. You are the barkeep. You are a dwarf. You do know the stuff. Your epic weapon is hanging on the (laughs) mantle.
5: You buy into a bar that's already started.
1: (laughs) That's right. That's right. You propagate uh, the chain devil's uh, cookbook and befriend him.
4: <laughs> anyway, with uh, with general world stuff, like, I I do I have background stuff going on. I have events happening that will influence the world, but I don't make it more than vague unless the players get involved. And even when I write out a history, like, I told you the Giants blew up. I did not decide... How the Giants blew up until it became relevant to a session.
1: See, I understand that. You and I have a, a similar way of <clears throat> way of running. Now, here's the thing. What if it's a mystery game? So, you know, for example, the Red Writ. The Red Writ. Which is our, our primary campaign on Mondays. They are essentially sleuths. It, it's basically a Call of Cthulhu game just run in Dreadlore. um the Dreadlore okay. system for those that don't know, don't know what that is um and there's a lot of player activity and player decision you know deciding where that plot goes but it's a mystery game so how do you attack or do you even run mystery games not games that incorporate mystery but an actual sleuthing game um
4: i have never run an actual sleuthing game i see That. But- That requires my knowing how long this game is going to go. Am I going to regularly have the same people solving puzzles? I have to develop the mystery, and I have to know that I'm going to be available frequently enough that people do not forget what's going on. And at the stage my kids are at, and my life in general, that's not something I can commit to and do well. One of... I don't like to... Do things like that. If I know what something takes to do it well, and I know I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm going to let somebody who can do so. Mm. Um, for just general information for everybody, I, I wear this hat and glasses because I have a visual impairment. I need these to function. You need the hat? Um, Is that
1: for extraneous light?
4: That's for the light coming over oh, the lenses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the lenses filter out what I see so that my world almost holds still. Um, that means I have a really hard time reading and I have a really hard time. I have X amount of time that I can function before it's just going to stop. And when it stops, it is just done. Mm. I have as a person adapted to that by committing to things that I know I can get done before shutdown inevitably happens. Because it's not just I can put on the extra night oil and keep going. If my eyes turn off, I'm done. Mm. So my career decisions have featured adapting to that. My gaming style functions with adapting to that. And part of it is I only commit to the things that I know I'm going to be able to finish well. Or that, like a long meandering epic game... It's going to go where it's going to go. 60 to 80% of that game was fallout from player decisions playing out. Mm, Right. Um, When they blew up a region, a lot happened. When they broke into a Githyanki vault and freed a demigod, that demigod was around wrecking havoc. Um, In the new game, that demigod is in charge of what used to be the capital of the giants. Mm. Because they got him loose and they, they got the duke of that town the cloud giant to pull a card and, from the deck of many things and he pulled the one that makes somebody in the world your enemy. Uh-oh. He made this ogre demigod who actually was a former PC of mine made him his enemy and he's like it's an ogre. They're at the bottom of the ordning. What's he going to do to me? He deposed him and wrecked his city. Hmm. Um, so, player decisions made major alterations to the world. The, the final session of that game, they f- solved the problem that caused the maelstrom in the Sundersea. So, the big eldritch storm spawning swirl in the ocean is gone. Hmm. And the new game. They're all level five, but they're on a ship sailing around on that sea where now a bunch of pirate factions have taken up residence. Because there's a lot more trade. There's a lot more to steal. And there are a lot of people who no longer have bosses after the players and player consequences got rid of their bosses and now they need a new job. So they're pirates.
1: It does sound like these would be really cool books.
4: They could become cool books, but that would require my sitting down and writing them and publishing them
1: dictated not not written <laughs> it's interesting stuff um in we we'll, we we'll, we'll talk to you other three who are sitting there uh what do you all think about this about what he's saying
2: i uh, i agree i think it would make an interesting book
1: that's what i was saying <laughs> what about what yeah. he was saying
5: No, the consequences, like, I think that's cool. I would like to go and see what happens to the Richmond Fay world 10, 15 years after our adventures. I think that's a really interesting aspect of what repercussions happen long term. And... In in the Richmond Faye game, we got to see some of that because we were gone sometimes for five years because of time dilation stuff. But I think that's a cool idea. I like that in, in storytelling, uh, the whole idea of taking the same group of characters or the same cast, but different characters to see what the world has become, I think is a cool idea. Sounds so like you're using
2: story to
4: make a backstory. It did make the backstories a lot easier since they'd already been there. Um, one thing that uh, big book series and big movie things repeatedly have a problem with is if you solve the big thing, you've beaten up the Death Star, you fix the world, and next generation is just immediately broken again with something even bigger. It feels like why did I even go on the journey before? Mm if the world was just going to be wrecked again to make the next story. And I kind of hate that. I find that really frustrating. There should be new problems, different things, not, Oh, we thought we fixed the world, but no, we actually made it more broken. Ha ha ha. So like, that's part of why we scaled back to back down to level five and dealing with pirates. Mm. Maybe we'll get all the way back up to big epic scale things and we'll deal with other continents, but, Like, I've also set it up for myself so that underneath this ocean, when the giant's capital was there, they used massive amounts of blood magic to operate portals to other worlds. And they're going to be able to reopen some of these portals with other magic. They don't have to sacrifice tons of people to do it. But it's going to open up. If we we get to the point of, oh no, big world-saving things, that's not going to be on Pearl. Pearl's already saved. They're gonna go somewhere else. Mm. And then it doesn't undermine the story they've already experienced. It's now a related, maybe equal scale, but it's not undoing the previous campaign.
1: It's an interesting idea. Um and it seems to fit with the the class-based systems as well. Because, you know, the stories are about these sort of epic, you know, journeys. Um that the characters are are headed towards maybe they're not epic themselves but they're they're kind of headed that direction i when it comes to a game like a myth game <clears throat> or not a myth game sorry a mystery game or a horror game i think this is one of the reasons that a level-based system such as DD. i think it can work but it it makes it difficult because who you start at the beginning your character. As they gain experience or whatever, you know, part of the game is getting more power, right? Like, not just more characterization. For example, again, going back to Alien, Ripley doesn't get more powerful, right? You could say, oh, she gains skills in Aliens, um, and she becomes more of a badass, but not really. She's already a badass.
4: Yeah, her hit point total didn't go up exponentially over time
1: her to hit didn't go up she didn't just gain a bunch of like you know basically game-breaking skills and special abilities no she just got some training some know-how and her character was able to adapt so she's not way b- until you get to the fourth one which is not a good movie in my opinion this is my point like having a system that can adapt to that now you can play D and And have like the milestone thing, you know, where you're like, okay, well, when they get to a certain point, they should be level eight. And so they're really not going to get to that until they're, they're in the right spot. But then you have problems, like you mentioned, where let's say they do all this stuff, they go about, they, you know, they have this awesome game, ton of extraneous stuff, and they gain levels and they gain power. Or if you don't want them to do that, they gain artifacts the sun sword, whatever. Then they go through a portal and you have another game. Well, they're level 15 and fifth edition has a really hard time dealing with that. You can do it, but the kinds of games that you deal with, not just fifth edition, three, five, three, Oh, has problems dealing with that. Second ed, all of them have problems dealing with that.
4: Three, five was a little better at the Epic stuff because they had stronger monsters. Right. Um, With 5e, when you get to high level, combat basically comes down to who shoots first. Mm. Like, they took out a lich in a turn once because he was at the bottom of the key. Right. And he didn't get to do anything to them except his reaction rolls. So, like, a little bit of damage here, a little bit of damage there, but they wrecked him. Yeah. Um. And dragons, it's the same way. Like, it just depends on who shoots first. Even with the big ones. Um, We actually, we ran a session where they had to escort the Tarask down a canyon. Oh, no. Um, They lived through it. They made it work. But the 5e long as you keep your distance, you can slowly whittle them down.
3: Yeah.
4: Uh, Now, I did have a fairy barbarian land on its face and try to wail on it. And he did a lot of da- it was it was an interesting build. He did a lot of damage, um, but then he got below half his hit points and freaked out and tried to run away, and it wrecked him.
1: Yeah, never run away, <laughs> not in D anD D anyway. Never split the party, and never run, um, or that version. Yeah. Of D&D. Well,
4: what what my party that what they figured out how to do by that point is use their world altering powers to deal with things outside of combat. Mm. We had very few level 20 combats because they had figured out that if a monster is that high up, most of the time, they're at least semi-reasonable. And they just found other ways to deal with the problems or other solutions. Um, The final session, I had this epic thing planned out between the Avatar of Anum, God of the Giants and this great worm dragon that I had given extra powers to. And they had been an incorporeal thing causing the Eldritch Storm in this long-term battle. And there had been sessions where they brought it in, but that's a whole other story. But in this final session, the party had a bard with glibness as a spell and a lot of absurd stuff. (laughs) And instead, It was supposed to be a three-way fight between the dragon, the giant, and the party. And instead, they convinced... They used their charisma to convince the dragon and the giant to have a duel while the party sat on as the arbiters of the duel. (laughs) And so I had my... My son was there. I think he was eight at the time. He rolled for... The giant. One of the players took the the dragon. There were the other players present. I I gave them the opportunity of: Do you want to run the giant? Do you want to? Like I tried to make them as included as possible, but they just wanted to sit back and watch. So one player did the dragon. One my my son and I ran the giant, and these this epic clash happened while they sat back and watched, didn't even engage until the very end when the giant.